This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, May 14th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. In its decision rejecting elements of NSA spying on Americans, the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals treated data as property that may have great implications for the future of privacy and legal decisions governing surveillance. Jim Harper is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He discusses the court's opinion. In the first case on NSA spying to reach an appellate decision, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York ruled that Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act did not provide the authority for mass collection of Americans' telephone calling information. It's a very important ruling, and it harbingers well for Americans' privacy, especially based on the way the court talked about these issues. How did they treat data in, in this decision? The court, of course, didn't say explicitly how it's going to work with data, but there are pieces of the decision that I think are very important. One, in its discussion of standing, the question whether the ACLU had standing to sue about collection of data, the court emphasized that the seizure of data was an important aspect. It's not just when data is searched that someone might suffer a Fourth Amendment violation, but the seizure of it. Seizure is a word we use with respect to property. Uh, Data, the court had to say, is an item of property that can be seized. In this case, the information about what calls the ACLU and everyone else is making uh, is jointly held. The telecommunications companies have it in bulk, but they have it subject to restrictions they placed upon themselves for our benefit. So it's like we have a covenant running with the data uh, that, that limits what they may do with it. These are property concepts, and the court used the property type concept to talk about the seizure of data that gave ACLU standing. So what does that mean more broadly? Well, that that's the framework that courts in the future can use to consider these types of issues. It's not just uh, a soup data that, that the government can ladle out of. Items of data are things that people own. And if they share data subject to contractual restrictions, the holders of that data don't have free reign to do anything they want with it. It fits data into a, a framework that we know well, property. And of course, the founders of the, of the United States, the framers of the Constitution, emphasized the importance of property to controlling our lives and as a bulwark against government intervention and overweening. And it, it makes sense how courts might interpret data not as property over time because you can seize somebody's data without really disturbing any of their uh, real-world effects. That's the difference between data and and physical, tangible objects. I can have a copy of data and it doesn't prevent you from using your data. Unlike an apple, where if I have your apple, you can't eat your apple because I have it. Um, nonetheless, I think, I think data has most of the properties that physical property has. And it fits well within the theory of property that uh, Tony Honore laid out, the bundle of sticks that people learn about in law school the right to have, the right to use, the right to benefit from the profits, et cetera, et cetera. These are all elements of property rights, and you can have property rights that are equivalent to tangible property rights in data. The court here was was using that kind of thinking about data, and that's helpful. How does that go against what Supreme Court has held over decades with respect to your interest in certain kinds of data? 
Well, the court has been fumbling along since at least 1928 in the Olmstead decision with how to deal with communications information. In Olmstead, the court found that a person didn't have any constitutional interest in communications information because it was accessed via a wiretap, and that wasn't persons, houses, papers, or effects, as referred to in the Constitution. In 1967, the court, it was really a, a, a solo concurrence by Justice Harlan, talked about the reasonable expectation of privacy. That language took hold, and for the longest time, it's just been sort of a free-floating question of what interest in privacy a person has, and courts have looked to see if that's reasonable according to uh, whatever panel of judges is sitting. But as you point out, like, repeatedly, the reasonableness standard when it comes to, uh, you know, what, what a reasonable person might expect, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. If a court has declared that you don't have a, a reasonable expectation of privacy in something, well, then, of course, you can't have a reasonable expectation of privacy in something. Courts have poorly administered this. It's really not a question of law. Judges aren't supposed to make huge judgments of societal sweep about what people's feelings are or what they what they should be. So by rooting constitutional protection in property concepts, which are very familiar legal questions, we'll get back to better administration of Fourth Amendment law. All right. So what do you expect uh, down the road? I mean, is, is this something that other courts will likely uh, make use of in, in trying to craft their decisions, that is, uh, treating data as as property and thinking about it in that context? I think they'll have to. I think they'll be drawn to it inexorably, but it may take some time. Another gem from the Second Circuit decision is its interpretation of the Supreme Court's recent Jones decision. Jones was the case in which law enforcement attached a GPS device to an automobile, tracking it for four weeks and developing 2,000 pages of documents about the location of the vehicle and, by inference, its owner. The court there focused on the attachment of the GPS device to the car and calling the attachment and use a search. But the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said that the attachment of the GPS device constituted a tre technical trespass on the defendant's vehicle. The court in the Second Circuit interpreting the Jones decision talked about trespass and about a violation of a property right. Jones is really a seizure case. It's the small seizure of turning the car into something that law enforcement uses for tracking. And that's, that's the gravamen of that case. The Second Circuit recognized that, and that's important. Property rights can be violated in a small way, uh, even so small that there wouldn't be any monetary compensation for the violation of your property rights. But that brings us into the Fourth Amendment rubric because it's a seizure. It's a seizure of persons, houses, papers, and effects. It must be reasonable under the Fourth Amendment. Jim Harper is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.